Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Beauty Podcast. I'm your host, Priya Rao, Executive Editor at Glossy. And today's guest is Rayanne Silva, the founder and CEO of Beauty Blender. Welcome, Rayanne. Thank you, Priya. So, Rayanne, for those out there who may not know what Beauty Blender is or what the concept is, tell us a little bit about how you started this brand and this company. Well, first of all, Beauty Blender is the world's first edgeless sponge cosmetic applicator. Try to say that 10 times. One more time. (laughs) (laughs) The world's first edgeless cosmetic sponge applicator. And it was made by me, a professional makeup artist of over 25 years in film, television, and celebrity fashion work, music videos where I started. Um, It was made by me when I had a challenge on set and I needed to solve that problem, that challenge. And Beauty Blender, creating Beauty Blender through trial and error, became the the tool that I made that helped me accomplish my challenge. So what was that challenge more specifically? Was it when you were applying makeup that it wasn't setting properly, that um, the people that you're working on didn't enjoy using that? What was the problem? So my challenge was trying to create very natural makeup finishes in high definition. The show that I was working on was a girl, uh, a show called Girlfriends. And uh, back then, it was the first show ever being broadcast in high definition. So it was kind of an experiment. So a lot of uh, the makeup and hair, there, was, there were certain aspects aesthetically that were kind of experimental. Makeup was one of them. Traditionally, makeup had been a very different kind of application for film, different lighting, different processes. And so my challenge was to make these four beautiful girls that start in Girlfriend looking natural um, without a lot of makeup, which was exactly the opposite of what was going on prior to high def. There was a lot of makeup being used. Um, So what I had been told from the producers on the show is that um, they wanted to hire me because I was proficient in beauty airbrushing. And uh, airbrushing is a technique of blowing makeup onto the face. And uh, it's a great technique. It's beautiful, but it's not practical for filmmaking. So uh, I needed to come up with a way to make the makeups look like airbrush without needing to bring my airbrush on set. So, I mean, I know that's kind of broad, but that's how Beauty Blender was made. So when you think about the idea of Beauty Blender, which is such a coveted and recognizable product today, you know, 10 years ago, you know, the idea of a makeup sponge being something that would someone would want to put on a shelf or display on Instagram was was very foreign. Mm. How did you decide to create something that was obviously very useful, but also the idea that it could be covetable, that it wasn't just like a throwaway item that someone would be proud of using it and would want to spend the money to buy it? Well, first of all, none of those things were in my mind when I was creating Beauty Blender, which, you know, sometimes they say ignorance is bliss, right? Right. So being a makeup artist, my my main and number one concern was creating a product that was effective and and worked. And I figured that my audience would be other makeup artists like myself. So um, in, in the process, in this journey of making Beauty Blender, I knew that there were certain aspects to this product that I was making that were kind of revolutionary. Uh, I mean, the nitty gritty in makeup is that basically, you know, sponges were always considered disposable. Uh, they were kind of a throwaway product figuratively and, and actually. And um, <laughs> we were taught to 
uh, replenish and never keep them. Women were given them traditionally in makeup packages for many years in your compacts. You know, you might have like a flat sponge in there. But we were never educated about what to do with the sponge, how to use it, how to clean it, nothing. So when I realized how effective and how amazing this product was, I realized that I had an opportunity to educate about the sponge. And um, so that was kind of like the first step. Then I realized... This bright pink was very non-traditional in the beauty industry. Usually sponges were white or beige or peach. Very unattractive. Yeah. And so this was a way for me to draw attention and grab your attention. Um, I knew that the shape, being an egg shape, was also something really unique. So the combination of it being bright pink (laughs) and egg shape in a clear cylinder, you know, it was going to be an attractive product. And that is how I positioned it. So when did retailers start calling? Um, well, retailers didn't really get it. You know, Beauty Blender was a slow burn. And, you know, again, things happen for a reason in life. And I realized that the the benefit to me that Beauty Blender grew slowly was that I was able to really, really uh, create brand recognition. I didn't have to do it so quickly like you have to do now. You know, there wasn't much social media back then. There wasn't, you know, Instagram and, you know, I don't even think there was Facebook. I mean, I think there was MySpace or something, <laughs> you know. So for me, the way that my first retailer came was through my connections as a professional. We have stores like Namie's, Friends, and Nigel's that all makeup artists that work on production order their makeup supplies through. And they were my first retailers. Um, They have a small portion, a bigger portion now because of social media, but before a small portion of their clientele would be walk-in regular consumers. But for the most part, they supplied and still do supply, I would say, 100% of every movie you see in the world. These kind of four or five retailers really go out and um, provide products for all of us makeup artists. So they were my first my first round of retailers. I realized that makeup artists were going to be the first ones that understood my product. Um, And a consumer, I didn't think a consumer would really understand it and definitely not understand the price point. So my first retailer was pro stores. And then in walked the gorgeous supermodel Sephora. (laughs) And once Sephora came into my life, you know, she was challenging Uh, meaning she pushes you, Sephora pushes you to grow and to think about things that someone like myself as a makeup artist, entrepreneur, starting a business, uh, not necessarily having a business background, you know, making me think about things in a different way. And so Sephora today is still my biggest partner and um, the first big retailer. How would you say that... um timing and obviously that slower burn with retailers and obviously your own evolution informed, you know, this idea of a hero product. You know, we hear about that a lot in beauty today, like having one product, selling one product and that kind of being a marketing gimmick. But back then you had this product and you sold this product for about 10 years before moving into other segments or other categories. What did that allow you? What did that maybe restrict you from? Well, it allowed me to really focus on the product. Now, again, I think I mentioned earlier that Beauty Blender is the world's first cosmetic sponge applicator. And what that means is it created a category 
that didn't exist before. So even when you talk about Sephora and all of the thousands of products that they have under their roof, they really didn't have an independent tool brand that they retailed. So we were lucky enough to be the first tool outside of their Sephora brands that they brought in. Um, specifically a, a tool that didn't have a makeup or a cosmetic component attached to it. It was We were solely a, a tool brand at the time. Um, so we had some really great merchants and still have these great merchants there at Sephora that really sat down and we mapped out and really talked in thoughtful ways about how to grow this one product because there was, you know, so many layers of the onion to unpeel yet with something like this because nothing had ever existed like it before to have this uh, world's first cosmetic sponge applicator, edgeless, <laughs> but also for it to be um, reusable and sustainable and have a cleaning system in order to, you know, use it over and over again instead of throwing them away and making it a disposable product. So um, they were very instrumental in really um, making sure I focused on the different aspects of growth of this one particular product. And we became very quickly one of their most important products. And you also spawned many copycats in the time, correct? I have many fans. <laughs> How do you deal with that today? Because, you know, so many of, you know, tool brands I speak to or device brands, you know, it's a big game in trying to spending the money and putting the investment towards, you know, patents and making sure that other people don't copy and pursue that. Um, what's been your strategy there? Um, well, you know, my strategy is to just stay focused on me and what I'm doing, um, because I think you can spend a lot of time worrying about what other people are doing, and that's a lot of productive time that you're taking away from focusing on how to grow your own business. And I know that sounds so simplistic, but the truth of the matter is, whether you have patents or don't have patents, they're all enforceable. They all cost money to enforce. Um, and at the end of the day, you know, we have China and different regions of the world that are always going to be in business to knock you off. So I always try to get ahead of the copycats, I guess you call them, by just focusing on the message of Beauty Blender being the first and the best and the original. That is a position within a category that I alone can only have, and that is the category creator. And so my job is to give reasons as to why we are the best and the first. And so that's what I focus on. Of course, does it bother me? Of course it bothers me. I, I think to myself all the time, can't you come up with an original idea? Go make something yourself. Why you got to make something that I'm making? But at the end of the, of the day, that's just what it is in our world now. What's your approach been to international in step with that? You know, I know you're growing rapidly in many, many countries. So how has that played a part or, you know, set you apart from those brands out there? Mm. Yeah. So again, Sephora being a great business partner for us. We've grown globally with them. Um, I've also taken the time to grow parallel distribution in different places where Sephora doesn't exist. Um, and I think that um, Beauty Blender is a, a global brand. We're in over 40 countries now. And when you focus on one or two products, meaning the sponge and the cleanser, it's a lot more simple than 
focusing on 300 SKUs <laughs> in a line. So I've been able to be with my team very thoughtful in the distribution and the planning, and, and uh, it's been great. It's, we've grown, and we continue to grow. I'm always surprised. But, you know, at the end of the day, Beauty Blender is a replenishable product. It's just we try to keep it more sustainable. You keep it longer. You don't keep it forever. So there is, you know, a, a business of replenishment that keeps us growing. How has social media played into the brand's growth? Obviously, you know, we've seen the waves of makeup come and go and and how big contouring, highlighting, you know, the Kardashians, you know, their look has been to a brand like yours and and help create that kind of growth. Tell us a little bit about that. Oh, yeah. Well, I I love the Kardashians. Um, They're neighbors. They live down the street. But, um, you know, they've been as influencers and all influencers. I mean, there's, you know, let me just overall state that um, social media in general, obviously, is a really powerful marketing tool. um, And it's been very helpful to me. But, you know, there's the good and the bad that goes with it. Um, As a professional makeup artist, I could say, oh, my God, you know, so many influencers are are using your brand and, you know, and, and I'm only, I'm actually really restating what other professional makeup artists will tell me. Oh, and they're not, they're not professionals. And how do you feel about that? I absolutely love influencers. They have not only supported Beauty Blender, but I learn from them too, because they really know how to work the social media system. You know, I, like I said, Beauty Blender came around before there was social media. And I'm kind of of an age range where I kind of missed, you know, the proficiency cue for, <laughs> for social media really well. I mean, I'm, I'm okay with it, but um, it's been very helpful to us because influencers and professionals, celebrities, alike all have embraced Beauty Blender and they post about it. And when you have that kind of verification, when you have other people that the masses kind of look up to qualifying and using your product, it obviously helps, you know. But then we have to come in after all of that and make sure that we're getting the right messaging out, the right education, and, you know, be able to support. You have to be able to support all of that attention you get from them. How did that necessarily lead you to launching your own color cosmetics line and venturing into foundation after 10 years? Well, I mean, in the beginning, Rianne is a makeup artist. (laughs) Beauty Blender has been a great distraction. I mean, I I created this tool for a challenge I had on set. I thought I would sell it to some makeup artists. I really never expected it to become a crossover consumer product. But thankfully, it was. And then that business required a lot of my attention because I'm not a business person per se. I am now, but I didn't go to business school. I was a makeup artist. I was an artist. I think abstractly. I don't think linearly. I don't think in terms of spreadsheets and P&Ls and forecasting and all of these you know, different things that I have to think about now. So, um, and then, you know, partnering with a serious retailer like Sephora that requires you to think about growth and scaling and, you know, what's next, newness, newness, you know, it drives your business. It really um, took all of my attention to grow my Beauty Blender business to a point. But the dream was always to make makeup. I'm a makeup artist. I can't leave this earth and not have this opportunity and take it to create beautiful formulations that I know. 
So it was a little over, I don't know, about 10 to 11 years into the beauty blender business that I started to be able to sit back and take a breath and start thinking about it again. And then I took a couple years to really formulate a beautiful formulation for foundation. And I launched it about a year and four months ago. Last year was a big year for foundation or about 2018 was a big year for foundation. You know, the 40 shade standard, you know, coming into the space and having an inclusive and diverse point of view. How are you able to make that your own? You know, being a newcomer in a way to the color cosmetic space and not having foundation before. Other brands had done 40 shades. What was your kind of way to make it new for Beauty Blender? Well, I'm in a very unique position because there are, you know, Fenty's, the Rihanna's, there's these other brands that have been able to create these products. But they're creating them without a history of distribution behind them, for the most part. I was unique, and I feel very fortunate that I had this global presence already that I had built with Beauty Blender. Beauty Blender kind of mapped out my distribution for foundation. And because Beauty Blender was so popular and so well-loved in the world, you know, it was kind of my, again, maybe naive thinking, but I thought if I could get everybody that loves Beauty Blender just to try my foundation one time, it would be a success. So the way I look at my business now is that I have a tool business and I have a makeup business. And I think that's unique. And I think that is how I approached the shade range. I think, you know, there was a bit of a controversy, as you know, when I launched, because I didn't come out with 40. I came out with 32 shades. And God, I was beat up because I didn't come out with 40. Were you surprised by that? Um, I was, but it was a great learning lesson for me. I realized that um, at that moment, the only thing that I didn't do right because the formula, like I said, is beautiful. We were winning packaging awards before. Distribution was amazing. The support we had, our launch was best in class. Sephora to this day uses our launch as an example. Um, But the one thing I didn't spend enough time doing was talking about myself because of social media. I didn't spend time in social media kind of, if you will, bragging about my background and about who I've done and what I'm responsible for in entertainment and these sort of things. And had I done that, I think it would have changed it a little bit. That's why I'm here with you today, Priyam. I'm finally talking about (laughs) myself. It's a marketing tool, right? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, tell me a little bit about the that piece of it. Because, you know, the beauty founder today, the indie beauty founder is everyone's rapid to be one. Everyone wants to know about her. You know, being someone behind the scenes, being someone a makeup artist, you know, making other people look camera ready may not have been in your DNA, you know, kind of priming yourself for being an influencer in your own right. What has that been like? And how has that influenced the brand's growth? Um... Well, yeah, totally. There's nothing in my DNA that set me up for being an influencer. Um, As a matter of fact, in my career that I said earlier, over 20 years, I mean, really, the success that you found back in those days was 
being confidential and not sharing who you were and who you're working with and all of these things. So it was really like a reversal of learning, like, you know, from someone that was told, don't take pictures, you know, your agent, my agent would tell me, don't take pictures with your clients. You're not a fan. You know, don't ask for an autograph. I don't want to hear from the managers or publicists, you know, from having that kind of uh, learning or, you know, understanding of how to succeed to now the exact opposite of just needing to put everything out there. It was a huge difference. So um, that's something I've had to learn to change for sure. So were people kind of expecting you to get in front of this, you know, with the 32 shades versus the 40 shades when all of this was happening? Do you you remember? Well, that's why it's so funny because I think everybody that from a business perspective and my team, we kind of all felt the same way that I did that, you know, there was kind of a, a, a kind of an ignorance, if you will, that the assumption that beauty blender was so popular and so loved that, uh, well, Rianne, maybe, maybe you don't need to get in front of the guy, you know, maybe it's okay if you don't do this or that or whatever, um, you know, became kind of okay not to put myself out there because the sponge was the star, you know, um, but because we do, you know, timing is everything and the evolution of my story and everybody else's story that is an influencer and brand founder now, uh, everybody's timing is different. And I think that um, by the time I started to work on launching the product, Bounce, the foundation, um, I think that there had started started to be a lot of indie brands and they were harnessing and using their likeness and their their Instagram coverage if you will to really support and make the brands famous and popular the new media if you the will. new media where you know beauty planner I didn't have to do that actually as a professional makeup artist we found that the more I talked about technique and talked about Beauty Blender as a tool and how I created it. The more complicated it sounded and the more intimidating it became for new consumers. Not for makeup artists, but if we're talking about the consumer market. So it was almost like I, it was better if I didn't put myself out there. So now it was complete turnaround. It was completely opposite. And I, it was something that I didn't realize till after the launch. You know, like, okay, now's the time. Now's the time to talk about all the things you've done and where you've been and, and what your expertise is. So... How has that changed your approach to marketing today? You know, what you want to do on social, what you're doing digitally, what you want to do with influencers or yourself? Well, it's made me have to really think about my story. And, you know, I I was one of the most busiest makeup artists in Hollywood uh, for many, many years. I started a music video and went from music video to um, commercials, went into film and television with some of my clients like Brandy and... Whitney and Eve and different people that started in music and then ended up getting TV shows and movies and, and you know, campaigns and, you know, all. it's so funny how timing is because they were innovative and knew at this kind of 360 artist, you know, success where you're doing more than just one thing. And that brought me into doing more than one thing. It brought me into film and television. And, um, yeah, it just... Mushroom. So that's what I learned. I learned that I have to talk more about this side of my business. And now I have to like really like tinkle biloba to remember all the stuff that I did for so many years. 
what about your approach to just the color cosmetics category? You know, um, we're kind of in a softening right now. People are not buying as much makeup or not as interested in, you know, the high contoured, really high def looks that we've been used to seeing on Instagram. How has that kind of tailored your approach to what you want to launch and how you want to grow in terms of product? Well, listen, I'm here for all of it. Okay, I'm a makeup artist that can give you 57 layers of contour, highlight, primer, foundation, powder, bronzer, everything. Or I'm someone that can make you look amazing naturally. So regardless of what the trend is, I support it. And I know that I have the background to create the things that a woman or a guy would want to use to be able to create these looks. Where I'm unique is that I own a tool company and it allows me not to have to, you know, if not to have to worry about it so much. And I, and I do, I don't mean to sound flip. Okay. Cause I, I don't mean it that way, but, but what I'm saying is right now, I think there is a softening in our industry because I feel like for the last couple of years, there've been so many, um, different products that the consumer can buy and has been excited to buy that I think suddenly one day they looked around and said, oh my God, I have so much makeup. I don't know what to do with all this makeup. I mean, this is in my mind. I'm, I'm totally playing out a scenario. I think that's real. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think they look at it and go like, I have a lot of makeup right now. So I think I'm going to focus on skincare because now I, I want to make sure my skin looks great and I want to focus on hair. Um, but they're still needing to use makeup. And that's where Beauty Blender still itself, the iconic sponge is still a great, business to have because regardless of how much makeup you use, you're still needing a tool to apply it. So on that note, Rayanne, you know, consumers, other brands, retailers may have expected you to continue on the color cosmetic track after foundation, but instead you went back to brushes and really developed that this past fall. What was that about? Was that creating more newness within the tool category to kind of help to sustain the innovation in color. Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, sure. It's not It's not to make up for a deficit somewhere else, first of all. What it is is that I consider my company to kind of be like a fork with two prongs. So one of the prongs is dedicated to tools and everything that supports tools, all the brand extensions you can go to there. So not just Beauty Blender, but brushes and bags and just tools that anybody would use in your makeup repertoire. And then on the other hand, the other prong is towards cosmetics. And if you think about the timing, you know, Beauty Blender was first, then came makeup, then I do another tool, then I'll launch another cosmetic or complexion product and it's just the way the timing is what it makes is for rigorous product development I'm always either developing tools or makeup at the same time you hit around 175 million in sales last year is that correct Ryan I think so I guess so <laughs> um, what do you expect that to look like in this year coming forward are you expecting tools to outpace makeup considering the softening or the other way around? Like, how do you consider your expansion and your growth going forward into 2020? Well, we're definitely still seeing healthy growth in the tool industry. And um, because we're still launching in areas of the world that we hadn't been before. So we have, you know, growth to experience and enjoy in the tool industry, thank God, still. Um, and for makeup, um, even with the softening this year, we're still experiencing growth there. You know, 
could it have been healthier? I don't know. I don't have a crystal ball. But, you know, luckily we're doing okay in both categories. Um, so I just I'm looking forward to 2020 launching more cosmetic products and launching more tool products and, you know, continuing to grow. With that, Ran, I have to ask, you know, kind of going back to your own story and highlighting your past as a makeup artist, you know, how important is distilling that through the makeup artist community? You know, I know that influencers have been very much a tool for you in this in these last few years, but I imagine that those same makeup artists and influencers could be very advantageous going forward in spreading your gospel. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the, the influencers are you know, always important. And I, and I, you know, I want to be very clear in saying that there's a certain group of influencers. I mean, there's so many people that consider themselves influencers. So it's a very broad kind of title people give themselves. Um, and they'll always be important to me. But my community and my family are makeup artists. And that's, you know, that's where I come from. And they are, to me, the most precious of my um support system because they um from from a very different perspective like if you take award season for example um no offense to any of my instagram or influencer makeup artists but you know they're not doing makeups at the oscars or sag awards or any of the award shows where my peers are and as a matter of fact this last week we just and every year I make sure that we have an event for red carpet season, for award season, where I'm able to introduce my new products to all of my peers that are either in my local 706 union or belong to the different agencies that I've belonged to over the years and be able to provide products and support them so that they have fresh, innovative tools and new products to use when they go out and do their clients. So, I mean, both are very important, but they play different roles. Is one going to become more important this year? Um, I, you know, that's a good question. I don't really foresee one overtaking the other. They have different roles, you know, they're, they do different things. A lot of the makeup artists that I'm talking about, you're not going to see, you're never going to see them, you know, on Instagram, you're not going to see them doing YouTube videos. They're too busy. They're making, you know, movies for six months at a time in a location in Alaska or Russia or something like they don't do that. We don't do that. We create the looks that the Instagrammers want to emulate. And then the Instagrammers take those looks and blow those out. But they're not always the creators of those looks. You know, they come from movie imagery. They come from, you know, different different forms of media. When you think about what other plans you have in store, you know, you're one of the largest privately owned companies left in beauty today. Thank you. Are you thinking about investment? Are you thinking about being acquired? Or do you want to work with a private equity firm? Yeah, I mean, I always think about it. Of course, I, I would be lying and disingenuous if I said I didn't think about it or that I don't get approached. I mean, it's practically on a daily basis. But I really enjoy my freedom of being able to make decisions the way that I want to make them. And, you know, there probably will come a time where, you know, I will consider it. But right now I'm, I'm really happy. Thank you so much, Ryan. It was great having you. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Beauty Podcast. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. Please don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you're listening. See you next week.